Hi, everyone. This is Christopher, and you're listening to Finding Japan, episode 33. Today is just full of carbonated beverages. Yes, that's right. I don't know what it was with today, but、uh, I just finished the Mitsuya cider, and it's probably because this came from the 100 yen vending machine that's right down the street here. Very convenient to stop to,、uh, to I'm sorry, to stop at on the way home from work. So it's、uh, one of my vices, I guess you could say, the、uh, Mitsuya cider. But when you, when you get this huge, let me see, this thing's about, a, I think it's about a half liter, probably about 500. 500 milliliters. Yeah, 500 milliliters. You get this huge can for 100 yen. You really can't beat that. So there's almost no excuse not to buy it. And I have subsequently moved on to Coca Cola Zero. And I think it's just the energy that I need for this podcast because we have a lot of material in store today. I say we, I mean everybody. We're going we're gonna to do this together. So、um, I wanted to talk a little bit about、uh, reading katakana. I had,、um, I wouldn't call it exactly a breakthrough, but、um, I did have quite a bit of、uh, difficulty in the past reading katakana. And、um, I managed to come up with a strategy to alleviate that that I want to talk a little bit about. So if there are other people who are having difficulty with katakana and you're studying Japanese, maybe this will help.、Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this、uh, commercial. That I had seen and、uh, wanted to share with you and comment a little bit on Japanese work life balance. And then we're going to spend a bunch of time doing some music. I have an Only in Japan segment coming up too that should be a lot of fun. And then we'll close out with some updates. So here we go. I'm just having way too much fun with this new software. So, if these episodes seem a little overproduced, I'm sorry, but hopefully、uh, it, that won't be the case. It's just a lot of fun. And, and San, I am going to set aside some time to、um, go ahead and talk about this setup you had asked、uh, on the boards there about whether or not、uh, this setup was truly different or what was different about it. So, hopefully,、uh, I can answer some of those questions for you. Okay, let's move right on to the katakana. Okay, so one thing I noticed while I was studying at、uh, Waseda and going through、um, some of the exercises they have us do is that I, I don't really, when I study on my own, I don't really do a lot of out loud reading. And as a result, I found myself having difficulty in class with many of the katakana words. And it really puzzled me for quite a bit because I didn't quite understand why I was having these issues. I had learned hiragana and katakana quite a while ago, so I know the characters fairly well. And if you show me one, I can instantly say, you know, oh, that's fu or ta. No problem, right? And some of the combinations are maybe a little difficult at times, but overall, you know, not too much of a problem. So I was, I was really just sort of wondering, you know, what it is with these katakana words that was driving me up the wall. It's so much difficulty reading them. And then it dawned on me one day, like a, like a pound of bricks, just boom, right on my head. The issue I was having with katakana is I was trying to translate 
the katakana word in real time. Now, if you're from the U.S. or another English-speaking country, um, and there are many of them, yes, I know, um, but again, we're not editing these podcasts anymore, so you'll have to deal with me making all these crazy literary mistakes and all that. But anyway, if you're from an English-speaking country and you've studied Japanese, you will know that many of the katakana words are actually loan words that are based on the English language. There are some that are based on French and I think a few German and um, I'm sure there's many, many more Spanish. However, the majority of them are based off of English words. So as an English speaker, when you see a katakana word, you automatically assume that, oh, this must be an English word. And what I was doing is I was actually translating before I finished reading. So I made the mental distinction about a week ago to go ahead and just read the word before trying to determine what it is. And this made a world of difference. So as I'm reading now, I will just read the words. And for the most part, that's how I approach the hiragana words. If there's kanji and I already know the kanji, I sort of instantly skip the pronunciation and just kind of know what it is. But if it's a hiragana word, I would just read it and then try to figure it out later. I applied that very same technique to the Japanese katakana words. And this technique just worked beautifully uh, for the remainder of the time that I've been studying, which has been about the last two weeks or so. So if you are also having trouble with these katakana words, let me recommend the following uh, bullet points here. The first, don't automatically assume it'll be an English word. And by that, I mean make the mental distinction that this is a katakana Japanese word. It is not a transliteration of an English word. And this will actually help you when it comes to speaking to Japanese native speakers, one of the issues that um, English-speaking Japanese students often encounter is if they don't know a word, I know I do this a lot and I've seen my classmates do this, so I'm going to use they in general. If this type of student doesn't know the word, they will attempt to make a Japanese katakana word out of the English word. Um, for example, the English word for um, spaghetti is translated into the Japanese word is supageti. And I'm sure I'm probably making a mistake there, but you can see it's sort of a similar thing. So if I didn't know the word for eggplant, I might try to go eggplanto. And that may be completely wrong. There may be a pause in there, there may be a longer like egg. And I may not understand that. And you will find that a Japanese person will look at you really strange because those little nuances become very, very important. So by not assuming that this is an actual English word, you will focus more on the pronunciation and that will help reinforce your speaking skills as you, as you move through that. So that's the first one. The other thing I would say is don't try to translate it while you're saying it. Think about what it means after it's said. This will help especially when you're going through reading exercises. As you begin doing conversations, you'll probably just know what the word is and be able to say it properly. Finally, oh, and finally, I'll probably have to edit that, um, I will, and finally, have fun. Um, it's very easy to take Japanese way too seriously, and um, if you just have fun with it, it'll sort of... Uh, ease the tension a little bit and uh, you really won't have to worry about making mistakes because even the mistakes can be fun. So there you go. That's
my uh, very limited advice um, based on my own personal experience of how to tackle uh, katakana words effectively if you are an English native speaker such as I am. So it was sometime over vacation, I think it was, and um, my fiance and I were watching television. I saw this really strange commercial, and it was right at the time we were both talking about um, how Japanese commercials are more like bursts of slogans than an actual commercial. And I, I suppose one could say the same thing of commercials in the United States or in the UK, but the Japanese have a very strong tendency to make what I would call just, I don't know, they're like the metal core, the grind core of commercials. If you're familiar with grind core music, it's more like just blast it out. Except many of these commercials are very, very short. And I think one, in fact, was probably, we tried to time it, I think it was some, somewhere around two or three seconds. So they must really be dividing up the advertising space very, very finely in Japan. I, I don't quite know how that works, and I'm sure one of the listeners can, can clue me in on that, but it is truly incredible. Getting a little off topic, though, there's one commercial that I had saw, and when I saw it, I sort of cocked my head and said, wow, that's, that's really strange. The commercial is for a product called Regain, and I, I do have to comment here, too. Um, I'm In the notes, I'm going to point you to a great essay, not essay, a blog post written by Marxy, who is a uh, very uh, talented writer here in Japan, and uh, we'll be talking about Marxy more in a little bit, but he did a really great write-up about this commercial, and one thing he said is, uh, the other question is uh, work-life balance, which Japanese people claim to desire, but is never going to happen when you get bonus points for staying in the office as long as possible, regardless to amount of work. And I think that's a really interesting point that was reinforced by this commercial. So I'm going to play the audio for the commercial here, and then I'm going to explain what it, what it actually is. And then I will also put a link to it in the show notes. So I, I realize the links don't show up in the actual podcast file. There'll just be a little a note there. But go to the site, www.findingjapan.com, and just check out the last post, and you, you'll get a link to it here. So here is uh, the commercial. Okay, and of course it ends abruptly like most Japanese commercials, but the the commercial is about these men who get stuck and there's something wrong with the train, the train's not running, so... They drink Regain, and they are, like, climbing over cars on the highway, swimming through the ocean, climbing up the building, like, just scaling up the side of the building, and suddenly crashing into the window to make it just in time for the meeting. And they give that, yosh, right at the end, which is, you know, like, the, yes, I did it. And, you know, you you watch this commercial, and it, it just sort of, as a Westerner, makes me go, wow. You know, to, to, to get there, you know, a few minutes, you know, late, especially when something's out of your control, probably wouldn't be 
that bad of a deal. And and even if something wasn't your control, for example, you know, your daughter has a bad morning getting up and you want to take more time to, you know, bring her to school or something, you know, it's, there's a, there's something to be said, and I'm clearly I haven't quite formatted this thought right, but there's something to be said when a commercial really starts to show the values of a culture. And I think this is true in any culture, not the Japanese culture specifically. I think many of the advertisements in any culture will display the desirable qualities of that culture. For example, many of the commercials, especially the funny commercials in the U.S., usually have a very beautiful housewife and a kind of dopey, slightly overweight American guy. Uh, usually brown hair, looks like he works in an office all day. And the stereotype there is that, you know, if you do this, you can, yeah, let yourself go a little bit and still get a really beautiful wife. And I think it's the same thing on the sitcoms, too. My roommate and I, a long time ago, had talked about this. And I think, you know, that's probably one of the um, cultural stereotypes that Americans share. So similarly, this... uh, commercial here, I think really says something about Japanese culture. And when Marxy wrote, you know, uh, it's never going to happen when you get bonus points for staying around the office as long as possible, I've seen that in effect. And I often wonder what happens uh, to these families. I think clearly that wouldn't work in the U.S., but maybe the on the opposite side, on the family side, that's to be expected. And maybe it's also a desired quality from a husband, you know, a husband who stays at the at work all the time. I I don't really have any major uh, points to pull out of this other than I just thought it was very interesting that this commercial was the epitome of the uh, Japanese work ethic that, that I've seen. And I think that it's changing slowly, but then you're, I've heard that it's changing slowly, and it's clearly not as bad as it was before. I think many companies now either through takeovers or mergers or through partnerships with Western companies, are now seeing the benefits to work-life balance. And and there's a lot of um, emphasis put on work-life balance in Japanese companies. I just don't think it's executed well. And then when you see a commercial like this as well, you sort of sort of kind of think to yourself, yeah, you know, it's we're really not at a point where work-life balance is really in effect. So... If you're interested in checking out the commercial, come to the website and I'll, I'll put a link to the commercial. I'll also put a link to Marxie's uh, great blog post there and um, some commentary from his readers, which are really, really interesting. Okay, we're going to move on to um, Only in Japan, and I was going to play the Only in Japan episode or feature music here, but I don't think I'm going to do that um, for a different reason. Uh, I think it was a, f- I don't know, it was probably about a month ago, I was in the train station, I saw some really interesting signs regarding Japanese train etiquette. And if you know the international signs for various things like no, you know, no walking across the street and this and that. You'll know what I mean. They use the gen- generic stick figures 
that are always put in little different positions. So, like, there's one for the priority seat that shows a pregnant woman, but she's a pregnant stick figure woman. Well, there's a lot of signage in Japan, especially Tokyo, around smoking and train etiquette. And I thought it would be really interesting to take some pictures of this stuff. The, the amazing thing, though, is that the way these things are phrased, it's it's just so incredibly funny. And I um, have put links to the pictures on the blog as well, so definitely go check that out. But before you do, um, listen to this uh, special presentation here of the uh, Japanese signage. And I've, I've invited a special guest, I think his name is Ralph, to come in and to give us a little performance of Japanese signage. So here is an interpretation done beatnik poetry style of this Japanese signage. Sit down with your legs spread out wide and the free space next to you. Disappears. Open up your newspaper wide. It may widen your knowledge, but grant strange space for others. My lipstick red always points toward others, never toward myself. When I bumped into someone, I apologized. When my smoke hit your face, I said nothing. Thank you, Ralph. So literally, those are what those ads said. It was absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's very easy as a Westerner to to poke fun at these things, but they really sounded like poetry. It was incredible. So um, I I can't really give any other commentary on these things. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you see a lot of signage, again, mostly around the smoking stuff, like the one who's talking about... uh, you know, when I bumped into you, I said, I'm sorry, but when my smoke hit your face, I said nothing. <laughs> I think it works on so many levels. One is, yeah, it, it is pretty true. You know, you bump into somebody, you're like, wow, I'm sorry, man, you know, it's all right. And and the Japanese, the, you know, they have a certain set of body language and a certain set of words that makes um, society move in a fairly frictionless way. Um, but it is kind of funny that, that the smoking thing is really, you know, very impolite if you think about it. You know, somebody's exhaling smoke into your face, essentially. But the uh, the other level of that is the choice of words. You know, when my smoke hit your face, it's just, I don't know, it's a blast. So check out the signage, though, that um, I've posted on the blog post. And um, hopefully, uh, if you do come to Tokyo, look out for those things. There, I've seen many of them, and unfortunately, um, I... I cannot catalog them all, but uh, there are quite a few, and I hope you enjoyed that uh, little 
little ditty there. And, and thank you for, for Ralph for practicing his beat poetry with us here. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ralph. My stomach is so hungry right now. I don't want to pause this podcast, though. I want to hurry up and get it done and get it done right. Okay, so um, I think it was maybe four or five days ago I was thinking of some um, inspiration for the podcast, and I said to myself, well, why don't I just listen to some of my favorite music or try to find some music that I haven't heard in a long time and just sort of chill out and see if anything comes to mind. And like a... I don't know, like a phoenix out of the ashes. There's all this great Japanese music that I had that I hadn't listened to in so long, and I realized I just totally fell in love again with a lot of this music, and that's what the remainder of this episode is really about. Um, I wanted to basically go through this, uh, I don't know, by playing some clips and everything. I think there's a lot of people who say that one of the best ways to learn Japanese is to listen to music, and I think that's true on one part. I mean, I think it certainly probably helps some pronunciation and, and getting comfortable with a lot of the words. But I've never really approached it from that perspective. Um, I know there's a lot of people who would consider themselves Japanophiles, either from like an anime perspective or a J-pop perspective. I don't consider myself um, that type of person at all. There are a few anime that I do like, and they're usually really weird offbeat ones. And there's a lot of music that comes out of Japan that I like. One of the bands I really enjoy is the Boredoms, um, Guitar Wolf, and I like I love the Guitar Wolf movie. That that movie is a, is an absolute trip. I, I think maybe maybe I'm not going to promise anything. I just have an idea pop in my head. It'd be really fun to do sort of an overview of some of our favorite Guitar Wolf scenes. I'd watched that with my roommate Alex uh, last year, and we just we just had a blast going through that movie. So if, if you've heard of it or if you've seen it on the shelf, definitely check it out, especially if you're interested in Japan. You will not be disappointed. Um, what else? There's a lot of uh, music uh, that has come on Japan that I've followed uh, for quite a few years, but there's a few songs that's just sort of like grab me in the right spot, and they're kind of cute. And one of the artists um, that I really enjoy is this artist called uh, YMCK. And no, it's not YMCA, it's YMCK. YMCK stands for Yellow, Magenta, Cyan, and Black. And if you're familiar with art and color theory, um, you'll know what that means. Um, there's quite a bit of uh, what I would call mm, J-pop, I, I guess. It's it, sort of recycled music and you know, bands like Morning Musume and SMAP. Um, pretty much sort of recycle the same types of songs in and out. But there are a few artists, and I don't think they're very well known in Japan that I really like, and one of them is YMCK. I would consider them sort of in the category of glitch music or nerdcore music. And let me explain. Nerdcore music, and I, I'm not sure if it's an actual genre, but it is how I tag uh, most of my music in this genre, is music that's classically done with video game consoles. 
meaning people either actually take the video game consoles and use modified cartridges to allow them access to compose on the music generating chips that are in that console. So be it a Nintendo Entertainment System or a Famicom System or a Game Boy, you put the cartridge in and you're able to compose using um, the cartridge itself. There are also people who compose in more modern sequencers that run on the computer but use software emulations for the chips. And there's pros and cons to both, and I think the software emulation is actually getting much better to a point where the chip physically acts the same way, meaning there's there's only a certain amount of sounds you can use at any point in time. If you've ever played an old Nintendo game, you'd notice that you know, sometimes when you'd shoot the gun, the drums would drop out for a second so it could, so the chip could actually play the sound of the shooting gun, which used up the uh, same resources that was playing the drum and the theme song. So um, stuff like that, you know, I'm getting a little nerdy here, but it's really kind of interesting to me. And there was this band, YMCK, that did something what, that I thought was pretty original for the time. And what they did is they took that type of music and added this very sweet, very cute sounding female vocal over it. And I just thought it was absolutely great. So I'm going to play a clip of my favorite YMCK song. And uh, I'm sure this is bordering on legal here, but this clip is available for free on their website. So you don't have to buy it if you want just this little clip. But we're going to play this here and you can check it out. And then um, we'll talk a little bit more about YMCK, but for now, enjoy. that doesn't bring you back to the days of sitting in your parents' basement playing the Nintendo Entertainment System, I don't know what will, but that song is called Magical 8-Bit Tour, and again, it's a sample off Family Music's, fir- or I'm sorry, YMCK's first music, uh, first album called Family Music, and you can buy it online at their website. I will provide a link on the blog. You guys are going to have to go to the blog for everything today, I think. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But yeah, that's their first album called Family Music, and definitely check it out. And they also have a second album that was released, I think, last year. Yeah, I think it was. I think it came out last year, and it's a shorter album. But that's also available um, through a uh, Thai and a Korean and a Japan record label. So if you're in Japan, you should be able to get both records. If you're only in the U.S., um, you may only be able to get. Uh, the first record, Family Music, but I did check the iTunes Music Store, and unfortunately, I don't think any of their stuff is there as of yet. 
Uh, let's see a little bit about YMCK. Um, there are three members. Obviously, there's a female. Her name is Midori, and she does the vocals. Um, there's another person called Yokemura, and I believe Yokemura is a man based on their icons that they have on their website. And he does the music, lyrics, and the arrangement. So he kind of sounds like the brains behind the operation. And then there's another gentleman named Nakamura who is part of the band but does just the music videos. And I believe he does the artwork as well. And when this band performs, they do videos a la, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System while the band's actually performing. So I haven't had the opportunity to actually see the band perform, but they have performed in quite a few countries, including um, Thailand and Taiwan and Japan and I believe the U.S., but... Definitely check out their website, and if you dig the music, um, you know, buy their CD too. As we close out this section here on, let's see, on YMCK, I do want to play one more song here, so why don't we do that now? This one is called Kira Kira, and this is also, again, available on YMCA's website as a free sample download, as it is only about 30 seconds long. So here we go, Kira Kira. It is a great tune, so definitely check it out. YMCK website is available on the blog post. Okay, before I mentioned Marxy and his website, um, I think he also, I think his website is Neo Marxism Me, but definitely check out the, um, the blog uh, for some information on that. But I had been introduced to um, Marxy and his writings in a, in a slightly different way. I believe Scott Lockman of Tokyo Calling has either conversed with him or speaks um, speaks to him, but either way, he speaks pretty highly of him, and uh, his writing had intrigued me, and I was led to his blog via Scott Lockman. However, Marxie's writing is, is so incredible, and this guy has such an a, um, illustrious vocabulary that um, just reading his posts totally blow my mind, so oftentimes I, I can't... Uh, read every single one. He's also a very, very busy writer, and he writes for many Japanese magazines and does translations. However, there's a small sidebar on his site, and it had a link to an album. And what I didn't know at the time when I was introduced to Marxie's writing is that Marxie is also a very talented musician. And I thought that his music was interesting because, to me, 
It was a throwback to many of the bands I used to listen to, including They Might Be Giants. Again, it reminded me, me reminded me um, often of this type of nerdcore music that I really like, that I don't think uh, Marxy would necessarily put himself into, and I don't claim that he puts himself into any genre per se. Um, but I think his music is uh, best experienced by listening to it firsthand. And Marxy also, I think, has an interesting perspective because he is an American, um, but he has spent uh, a significant amount of time in Japan and also has um, quite a bit of significant insight into Japan. It looks like, and I haven't talked to Marxy specifically about this, but it does look like he has only two albums uh, himself. The first one is called Kyoshu Nostalgia. And that was released in early January of 2005. And that is available um, by Beekeeper Records. And I think that's a U.S. label, but as far as I know, um, Marxy is the only artist on that. So I don't know if that's a label set up by Marxy or not. But either way, you can get that album off of Beekeeper Records. So check that out. And there is a newer album that was released last year, last November, um, in, let's see, on November 27th, yes, last year, 2006, called Bows in Disarray, and it's a six-track EP that's available for free from uh, Creation Center. Um, Marxy's album, Kyoshu Nostalgia, actually had a promotional, I guess you could call it a promotional teaser, a promotional song. I only have one of the tracks since it's available for download, but I love this teaser since it really, to me, sort of sums up the songwriting. So rather than just sort of spout out all this stuff about um, Marxy and the music, I'm just going to play it for you guys, and you can let me know what you think on the blog post. Or more importantly, if you like this music, head on over to uh, Marxy's site. But here we go. Here is the Kyoshu Nostalgia teaser, and again, this is from Marxy. Mr. Doctor here, and now by special request, we're going all the way back. Of what they used to be Chorak 
You're listening to another gold time oldie. <laughs> Seriously, amen. Wow. This this guy is just such an, a talented songwriter. He's probably, if he ever listens to this, he's going to be sick of me saying that, that he's so great. But yeah, I really enjoy this music, and I thought that little teaser was a perfect little example there of um, the many talents of Mark C. So if you like that kind of music, definitely check it out. It I found it interesting that that music, that little teaser reminds me of so many things. If if you're relatively familiar with uh, American rock music in the uh, past three years, you'll know of a band called Queens of the Stone Age. And they did this album called Songs for the Deaf. And the album was put together with the tracks as if you were listening to a radio. And those little uh, interruptions in, in this teaser here totally reminded me of that. And at the same time, there's so many throwbacks and references that just uh, feed into my head when I'm listening to uh that track there so um yeah marxy um i think you can actually donate to a creation center as part of the album so if you enjoy it please please send along a donation there as well um okay so that does it i didn't really meant uh, mean for this episode to become such a music-based episode i think it just sort of happened that way but i hope you enjoyed it um there are a couple things i wanted to talk about too before uh, turning off here. One is um, there, I did a blog post about this uh, Inochikun video, and I thought about maybe doing an episode on it too as well. But if you were, you're one of the folks who only subscribe to the podcast, definitely check out the blog and check out this video. If, if you're not into the Japanese quirky videos, then don't bother. But it's a really interesting video, and I still haven't quite put my finger on where it came from. So I kind of need some help. So if you're interested, take take a look at that. Um, the Fuji episode will be recorded soon. Alex and I are trying to coordinate schedules. And uh, I know he works quite a bit and I work quite a bit. But I do want to make sure we do it in a format where we can both share everything at the same time. So tomorrow night, we will be heading out to Katsu, probably. And uh, I will ask him then if uh, he wants to go ahead and get that together. So that will be coming soon. And I also wanted to thank uh, quite a few new commenters who have joined uh, just recently um, on the blog here. And I noticed there's uh, quite a few new people leaving comments, and I appreciate that. So I love the comments. Please keep them coming, and I will try to get a little better about responding back to them. And um, I think that will do it. But... You know, I think what I want to do, actually, is instead of doing the, the regular outro music stuff here, I think 
I'm going to leave you all with one more song from Mark C, just because I can, and it's it's my podcast, so deal with it. No, um, it's a great song. It's called Neoplastism versus the Style, and I think I'm pronouncing style right. I know it's a, a Dutch word describing an art movement, but again, what can you expect from the illustrious Marxy? So here you go. I'm going to leave you with a Marxy tune to close out instead. So on that note, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. I'll talk to you all again really soon. Bye now. Mm-hmm.